Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. What a fresh new song MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis This is Book Talk with Fran Lewis Brought to you by MJ Network In memory of my sister Marcia Joyce This is going to be a blockbuster show For those of you out there that think that the world owes you something, that you are entitled to the world, read Face of Greed and find out when you go overboard too much because the author is here. Good morning, James, and how are you? And welcome to MJ Network. This can be great. (laughs) I hope so, Fran. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Well, the first scene in the first chapter I've read seven times, so I think I have it memorized. How did you create that? Because that really yeah, the, sets the tone, and I have the answers in front of me somewhere. Okay, it, here they are. It, it, okay. It, it really does. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the first scene when we, when we open up Fix Agreed, um, Emily Hunter is our main character that we're going to follow through this series, and she's a detective in the Sacramento Police Department. And the first, the very opening scene kind of gives you a little bit of, a, of an insight into her life and what she's kind of facing even before the investigation unfolds. She mm. goes to her house, and <clears throat> the door is open. It's at night, and we soon learn that, you know, she's been taking care of her mom with uh, dementia, and mm. mom has snuck out of the house. So it's that, that instant terror that you see when you're, you know, when you're a caregiver like, like our main character is Emily. And, yeah, it's, it's, you know, very unsettling, and that's the first thing that she has to deal with. So it, it was kind of based on uh, some experiences I had. My my mom had dementia, and, and I was her primary mm-hmm. caregiver. We didn't have her living with us, but you always had that fear that, you know, the next phone call, the next issue, the next something coming up, that that hammer was always getting ready to drop. And you really couldn't relax, you know, because you had to be, you know, ready to respond if, you know, she she wandered off from the memory care facility or it was having issues or or had another, you know, episode where she didn't know where she was. So it's it's kind of one of those things I wanted to kind of give our character Emily just a little bit more of a of an obstacle to overcome uh, as she worked through the story. Well, I can go and identify with that. My mom was diagnosed in 2003, so I had to retire from teaching early because of it. And I was the caregiver, and she yeah. made me sign a paper and get it notarized that I wouldn't put her in a nursing home. Yeah, that yeah. I think you know, with with uh, especially you know my mom, you know her generation. That that thing that you just said, you know, you're going to put me in a home. That was kind of a big fear for a lot of people in that in that age yeah. group. It's this, you know, you're throwing me away. Like just, yeah, I had to go. I went to about 20 different nursing homes for real. And after mm-hmm. I went to all of them, I said, 
I really would have to hate you to do this, but you deserve it. What can I say? It cost me. I got Medicaid for her, and I got she. I, the first twelve hours were free. I had to pay for the last ninety six every week, six thousand a month, until I was able to get all of it. So I, yeah. I do understand. And my sister died right before, so she couldn't really help her. My brother had three kids in college, so here I am. But you know yeah. what? I had eight home health sites that I picked. If I had to do it again, I'd do it again the same way. doesn't matter. Yeah, and, so, and that's another reason I wanted to kind of include this, this theme you yeah. know, in, in the book is there's so many of us that are going through that um, yep. where we have aging parents, and it's it's not an easy thing to deal with. And um, so it was kind of it was kind of interesting to kind of look at that through Emily's eyes as opposed to the way that, you know, it unfolded for me. Yeah, my mother never used a bad language until she got dementia Alzheimer's. And she taught me a few yeah. words. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so how do you decide the major storylines in this book? How did you decide? First of all, Emily is really, you know, she's got a big mouth. I like her. And she yep. doesn't tolerate yep. what the breath said. She doesn't care. And she manages to skirt a lot of stuff, which I think is really cool. So how did you decide in the med- medical, and how does she manage to, like, the chief wants or the captain, she's like, don't worry about it, I'll get there. <laughs> yeah, Emily is, uh, she's she's a snarky, kind of sarcastic um, yeah. detective, but she's very, very good at her job. And I think because she's so good at it and she delivers those results, she's able mm. to kind of push the push the barriers a little bit. Um, Emily isn't that unusual in terms of the women in law enforcement that, that I worked with over my career. Mm. Um, she kind of has, has to be a little abrasive and, and, you know, pushing the limits just to get noticed in a, in a male dominated profession like, mm-hmm. like law enforcement. Um, I mean, I saw that with women that I worked with who had to work twice as hard to get the same recognition that her male counterparts get. Um, but she's able to kind of navigate that system and push back in on the barriers where where things are just you know giving her artificial obstacles to kind of over overcome um but yeah it's kind of it's based on some of the experiences i saw that women that i worked with in in law enforcement um really had to overcome and and i think emily mm-hmm. kind of brings that and and uh i think she has fun with it in in some degree so I was lucky, sort of. I had male principals. The first one didn't mm. want me there because the assistant principal was my third grade teacher. She hired me walking down the street. So he put <laughs> a lot of obstacles, and I pushed him. I was like a big teenager when I started to teach, and I got the worst class in the school, and I proved to him I could do anything. After that, forget it. I found it much easier to work with the guys than it was with a female principal at the end where I decided it was... It just wasn't worth it anymore. It wasn't the kids. So, yeah, yeah. it's hard. You know, now, the character it, it, that I really different. love. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. It's Javier. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I love this I love this guy. But I felt <laughs> sorry for him. He's new, and she sort of, like, overrides him. When Emily colors outside the lines, nevertheless, he, he trusts her, but why? And doesn't he feel like, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm the guy, I know what I'm doing, so why don't you listen? She doesn't listen to anybody, does she? She she does, but she, she's 
she's she's mm. got her own compass and she follows that direction. Now, now yeah. Javier uh, Javier Medina, her partner, um, he's the the junior detective in the pairing, so she's kind of the lead detective. Uh, so he he follows her her direction, you know, in a lot of the instances in the investigation. Um, but he's he's unique in that, you know, even though he's a man and he has more time behind the badge, he's a junior detective, but he still lets her, you know, assert that lead role. Um, there are some men that would have issue with that, and I think Javier is mm-hmm. a little different uh, with that. And, and Javier brings, you know, a lot of things with him to the job, uh, his background, uh, his 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 mom who desperately wants to see him married married and and just is always matchmaking for him and that kind of that kind of thing so it it makes for a good dynamic of the two opposing detectives with Emily and uh well obviously he doesn't have this male macho problem because otherwise he no. probably would say to her yeah uh, you know because of who I am so we're going to talk about his background in just a minute because I have that mm-hmm. in front of me. It's interesting because obviously he's able to temper her, and she just like goes up. But I cracked up laughing when, when the chief or the captain said you need to get here, and she said, uh, "I'll be there in a minute," and it comes in two hours. I cracked. See, that would be me. <laughs> that would be that would be seriously me because if I think something's more important than the nonsense that you want, I, I don't really care. So, how would you describe? Javier as a person. What's his background? And his mother only wants him to get married. Right. Sometimes that's not the right decision, people. No. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, he's um, he's a unique individual. You know, uh, Javier. You know, going way back, um, his mother, his biological mother, abandoned him uh, at the border mm-hmm. when she made it, when she when she made a crossing. Uh, she was deported. And Javier was left up here alone. Uh, so he, he went into the foster care system. And, you know, he suffered some, you know, the, the horrors of the foster care system that we hear about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, luckily for him, um, he was adopted by a, by a family. And, um, you know, they treat him, they treated him as, you know, their son. And that's, that's who we see with uh, Lucinda, his, his mother. Um, and yes, she is. She is desperately wanting to see him married and have grandchildren. Well, as an educator, I work with the foster care system, ACS, and all sorts of agencies. And let me tell you something: exactly what you said does happen. And if you're not mm-hmm. on it, if you have foster kids in your class and you're not on it with the foster parent and whatever, things really bad things could happen. And you can't be afraid to say something or report it. So, yeah, he was lucky that he got adopted by the right person because not all yeah. kids have that. I, I do know. It's horrible. I mean, if a child came in one day and said, look what my father did to me, I'm going, he won't be doing it again because I called the police on the minute. Yeah, I mean, early in, my, early in my career, I was a uh, probation officer, oh. ju- a juvenile probation yeah. officer, and I dealt with a lot well, of, uh, you know, kids in the system. And... A, you know, a good chunk of my caseload were in foster home places. So I'd go around to the mm. foster homes, check check on how they were doing, and um, you know, it was it was difficult. And you had some very very good foster parents, and then you had some that were clearly mm. just in it for yeah. the paycheck. Um, and you know, it's difficult to see. And 
I think you know in in the for as far as face of greed and Javier goes, uh, yeah, he's one of the lucky ones. He was one of the lucky ones because there were so many. Well, even regular parents weren't so great either. Mm-hmm. And you know, you get you get That's nervous true. because you as a, as an educator, you're a licensed reporter, and if you don't report it, you get in trouble. So right. I, I, I constantly said I'd rather have to apologize than I never did. I was always right. That's the scary part. So the book starts out with a home invasion that gone wrong. Right. The homeowner has right. been murdered and widow Baton. So how did you create that? Because that was powerful. Oh, good. I'm glad you liked that. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. In, in face mm-hmm. agreed that right after you know Emily finds her mother missing and you know mom comes wandering in with the caregiver she wandered yeah. off down the street emily gets called in uh, on this investigation uh, it's a, all she gets over the phone is it's it's a home invasion it's it's gone horribly wrong the homeowner's been murdered the wife has been beaten and right away she knows this is not going to be her normal investigation because uh, she gets a heads up the mayor is already on scene the chief of police is on scene so there's just mm-hmm. heightens this political awareness of, of the whole incident um so she arrives and starts investigating the case now the the home invasion was actually based on one of the first murder cases that i worked on oh um, there was a, a home invasion uh three aryan brotherhood gang members you know, um, targeted this home because the man was a, a real estate broker. And they thought because he was a real estate broker, he'd, he'd have tons of cash just sitting around in, in a safe in his house. Mm. So they they broke in, held the family hostage, and when the real estate broker, the homeowner, couldn't give them the piles of cash that they expected, um, they shot and killed him in front of the family. So, you know, he, he died. And they, they didn't get the cash. They, the gang members ran out of the house. And it didn't take long to, you know, track them down, arrest them, and um, get them in custody. And as gang members typically do, they, they started turning on each other to, to get the best deal from the prosecution. Um, and they concocted a story that the, the homeowner, the broker, was some kind of drug dealer, and he owed them money mm. from the drug deal. Like, like that made, you know, shooting him, you know, okay. Um, but, yeah, the jury didn't buy it. You know, nobody bought it. Uh, they were all convicted. The shooter actually got the death penalty um, for, the, for the shooting. Um, but that case, that situation, that home invasion stuck with me over the years. And when mm-hmm. I went to start writing this book with, with kind of that home invasion scene, um, I, in the back of my mind, it was always, okay, what if something were different in that house? What if that, that dead man had more secrets than we were led to believe? And what if he really wasn't who he said he was? And, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of just went, it just kind of unfolded from that point forward. That was, that was really what got me. I'm saying, wait a minute. He's supposedly whatever, but maybe he's not. And mm-hmm. you begin to wonder. So when somebody like him is is killed, who takes after? Who takes the role afterwards? And who is his lawyer? Who is her lawyer? The lawyer who took over it? Anderson and Boston. Who are they? Yeah, you know, you've got, you know, when a situation like that happens, in 
in face of greed, the dead man, Roger Townsend, was this very politically connected power broker. Um, And, I mean, if there were were dirty political secrets in the city, he would know about them. He would have them. And he would, you know, weaponize them and use them. Um, And they were for sale. So as part of his, you know, business as as being a venture capitalist and in control of all these secrets, um, Mm. he, he, you know, amassed a, a, a... fast empire. So upon his death, everybody's aware of these secrets out there. Uh, and they kind of vie for control over, you know, who's going to let them out and who's going to get damaged by it. So the, the business that he ran is really concerned about protecting their image, you know, and, and the, the company and, and all that kind of thing. So you've got, a, you've got kind of a circle of people around this crime that you know, are afraid of what's going to happen next and want control over it. He, he was a, you know, he's a very wealthy, entitled kind of guy and had, you know, a great fortune, and all these people want a piece of it, which means they all had a motive for, you know, what might have happened to the guy. So, you know, his attorney, um, his business partner, and, and his wife. I mean, they all mm-hmm. circle around this thing that, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of, Makes you, makes you wonder, well, who had the most to gain by by seeing the man killed? Well, that's very true. Well, we don't want to say too much about his wife, but mm-hmm. she reminds me of an awful lot of people <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that that feel that, you know, well, what the heck, it's mine, I, I deserve whatever. But she she walks around staring at herself in the mirror and thinking that she's the most perfect person in the world. So how does she manage to get around the mayor, the governor, and all the rest of it? I mean, the, the way you depicted her, I would have figured out she was the most gorgeous person in the world that would have won every single beauty contest, including Miss Universe, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Her personality I mean, is, is definitely one that I've seen before in other people. That's why I said this book is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> now, Lori Townsend, the, the widow, um, yeah, we meet meet her in the opening pages, and we mm. over the course of the book, you start to learn a little bit more and more about her. She's you know basically Roger Townsend's I think third wife, definitely his trophy wife, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, she's kind of used that that image and her 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 beauty and her sexuality as kind of a weapon to get what she wants in life, and. Now with him gone, she's wondering, you know, where she fits and how she can, you know, continue to hold hold the reins of power for for what he left behind. Um, but yeah, she's she's kind of that that person that, yeah, I think we all know people like that who who kind of use their uh, their persona and that kind of thing to to get what they want. And I think she's not she's not one of those people that's going to be too shy about you know, letting you know exactly what she wants and what she's willing to do to get it. She'll even badmouth you no matter who you are. She doesn't care as long right. as it turns out to be in her favor. And when she doesn't get it, you don't want to be there. Trust me. So, <laughs> right. Who is Detective Potter and what did he have to do? It must have been hard oh, to yeah. be the, the cop on this case. <laughs> yeah. Potter Potter's another detective that that Emily comes across in the in the investigation. Um, what we what we find out is that the the dead man had some kind of a tie 
with, um, I mean, these secrets come from everywhere, and you sell them to, yeah. to whoever's the, the, the highest bidder. But Roger Townsend made a deal with a gang to, to either hide secrets or get secrets. And Potter is a detective who is involved in the gang side of the investigation. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Potter and Emily had a relationship early on uh, in their careers. And so, you know, Emily has a little bit of background with him and, you know, experience. But, yeah, Potter, um, you know, we soon find, you know, isn't exactly, you know, doing what he should be doing on this investigation. It kind of takes a, a different road. We want to see what that is. Now, <laughs> this is, I've read too many books. Seriously. I have. Yeah. It's really. T- it's, I, by now, I should be able to process a crime scene by, in my heart. <laughs> so, when it, when an ME like sees Roger Thompson and he's dead, how does he mm-hmm. determine the cause of death? I mean, that's always fascinated me because I watch all these lovely programs, and sure. I should have gone into something like that instead of t- no. <laughs> I, 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 I loved what I did. But everybody just processes the scene. So how did this medical examiner process it? And how do you know that sometimes in some of the books, the medical examiner purposely says the wrong thing and they just didn't give yeah. you the right information? Yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of a fascinating field when you, when you start to dig into it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, not, that's not my background, so I've had to rely on other folks to, to mm-hmm. kind of make sure I'm saying the right things. But, uh, yeah, in, in this case, Roger Townsend, you know, they find him, you know, face down in his, in his study, uh, and he's been shot, and, you know, he's, he's had his throat slashed. So the, it's, it's a clear clear indication that, you know, something bad happened to, to Roger Townsend. But the medical examiner is able to find out uh, by, by evidence in the body that, you know, he was shot first, and, you know, he started aspirating, you know, blood, you know, in his lungs and that kind of thing. Mm. And then his uh, and then his throat was slashed. So there were two two distinct acts, and you know she's able to find out which one which one was first. Uh, and the and the, uh, the throat slashing was definitely the uh, the killing blow, if you will. That's scary. And yet you don't know who really who really did it. You don't want to know know who did it. Yeah. And yeah, you just right. get a feeling that there's something hidden that nobody knows about. So she gets the mayor and a few other people and the guy that runs the company. (laughs) She really got around a lot, didn't she? And yet she she manages not to, you know, have any kids or anything, but she's just like, she she just got away with everything just by the way she's speaking. And just listening to her talk in the book, people were afraid to say to her, no. But then, yeah, and we're yeah, that's, and we're, that's scary. we're talking about yeah, we're talking about about, about Lori Lori Townsend and and yeah, she kind of she wants this investigation over and done with so she can yeah you know take over take over the business and and you know happily ever after and put Roger out of the way and she's you know she can move on with her life and yeah, I mean we see her trying to move on with her life in various places in the book. Uh, you know, she's got Roger's, you know, Porsche that she's out driving around and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but 
yeah, she's she's definitely a, a character that you wouldn't want to cross, but she's got deep down, deep down, I think you know you're going to find Laurie is a very very insecure person. She's always relied yep. on what she looks like to, to get what she wants. Um, so yeah, it, it, she's one of those people that aging, um, she won't do it gracefully. She, you know, it, she's going to go fighting and screaming, you know, all, all the way. I refuse to do that. What I do is that I just put on a mask and nobody can tell. Seriously. <laughs> this is my weird sense of humor. What can I say? So yeah. Emily and Lori sort of are the same because Lori believes that what she wants and how she wants it done is right. And Emily secures the capsule and everything. So what happens... What would happen if they went after each other? In other words, if Emily, you know, tries to question Laurie, Laurie tries to question Emily, it's, it should be interesting because the two of them have this strong personality. Now, Emily is not self-insecure, but Laurie uses her, like you said, her, the way she looks in order to get anything because probably behind the intelligence there's not too much there. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I think I think Laurie is probably pretty intelligent, but in uses it. Way. To manipulate rather than yeah. to try to you know you know build relationships. I think you know Emily and and Lori Townsend, the widow, probably share some kind of they're very focused individuals. They know what they want, mm-hmm. uh, but how they go about getting them is a little different. I think Lori and you know her attorneys and and the business they mm-hmm. don't care. Uh, who's left in the wake behind their, you know, their push. Uh, yeah, where I know. Em- yeah, Emily, I think, is probably a little bit more sensitive to that. She might not come off that way, but uh, she's the kind of person that um, if you're on her team, she has your back, you know, she'll take a bullet for you. But if, if you're not, if you're on the other side of the, of the equation, um, you know, she's going to be pretty dogged on taking you down. And I think I think that's the difference between the two is is you know the the compassion that's there. I I know I don't want to give away too much because I've got the book in front of mm-hmm. me, and um, mm-hmm. no one's going to be able to read this because I underline, circle, and cross out. That's how I know <laughs> what to ask. No, I'm serious. <laughs> I'm serious. It's terrible. I give my books to my dermatologist not because I need to see him, but because his wife wants the books. Great. And that's how I get the appointment. I'm bringing you books in two weeks. Dr. M, you're getting more books. But she'll take this anyway. So tell us more about Lucinda. And how does she really feel about Javier being a police officer? And does she ever get to meet Emily? Because she wants Emily for him. Yeah, I I don't think um, she... She wants so much Emily. I think she she does meet when somebody meet Emily, and she 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 kind of uses Emily as a as a as a go between on her her matchmaking efforts. You know, like why can't you let my my son you know find a nice girl kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Emily Emily and Lucinda ha- actually have a really good relationship um, because when. Emily's mom's dementia gets so bad that the mm. she has to fire fire a caregiver. She relies on Lucinda to come in and kind of fill the gap. Lucinda used to work in memory care facilities and those kind of things, so she knows how to deal with people. And she's known, you know, Connie, um, you know, 
Emily's mom for, for a long time. So she's able to kind of sit with her and kind of take care of her and does it in a way that's, you know, very compassionate and like as a friend as opposed to a caregiver, you know, kind of just filling mm-hmm. a gap. So Emily comes to rely on her quite a bit because, you know, in the middle of this high-pressure investigation, she's dealing with these issues about, you know, her mom and caregiving, and she may have to move her into a memory care facility. And it's, yeah. it's, it's she's trying to balance her life here, and, it, and it's getting increasingly hard because, I mean, both of these things demand all of her attention. You know, at one point she's thinking, you know, am I going to have to quit my job? Am I going to have to you know, go on a leave of absence and, and leave mm-hmm. Javier with this with this high-pressure investigation. Um, and that's when Lucinda kind of steps up and says, you know, I, I can help and I can take care of, you know, uh, your mom while you and my son go, you know, solve this crime. I, I wish I had somebody like that. I oh, was yeah. lucky that I used Partners in Care. And Partners yeah. in Care, the first couple, well, the first two agencies I fired right away, they were crazy. And one one aide came in and said, I have a child abuse case tomorrow. My, they're accusing me of beating my daughter. I said, you could leave right now. I was like, yeah. why are you yeah, telling you, me this? Yeah, there, there are a lot that. of well, them. Yeah, at least she told you. Well, yeah, I fired the agency. But when I got partners in care, mm-hmm. it was to one of my my friends in my school. And I used VNS. They were okay to a point, but I had eight home health aides. And because the aide left my mom on the street corner for real, I got the other 12 hours, and I got rid of her. Yeah. And I had eight people that were, I, I, I could, except if there was an emergency to go to, go to the hospital, I knew I wasn't, I didn't have to worry. And the really yeah. funny part was that I could leave, I could leave a thousand dollars, which of course they didn't on, on my couch, it would still be there. Yeah. So, so you know, you know exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know exactly the kind of pressure that that Emily Hunter was under, um, trying to manage, you know, her mom's care and this high pressure job. That that's why I started this one. In my yeah. my sister, my sister said I was I weigh 102 pounds. I weigh <laughs> 200 pounds because I was eating myself into oblivion. And my sister mm. looked at me, pain in the butt, and she said, you look like a couch potato. I go, I hate you. She says, why don't you write a book? And I did. It was about us growing up in the South Bronx. She wanted to kill me because I wrote the truth. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and it, it's like it started out of nowhere. So Javier and Emily, um, they have like this, this banter between them. How does she, yep. how does she get away with it and he just doesn't say anything? They sort of like you know um, this and that like they sort of joke each other, but yet he takes it. And I I think he's yeah. amazing because most men would tell her to shut up and you know I'm here too. <laughs> yeah, I mean they they do have a good relationship and I and I think the the banter that goes back and forth between them, it's really it's really fun to write, but it's it's really reflective of the kind of of back and forth that partners have in law enforcement. Um, it's it's that that kind of, you know, teasing, humorous, it's sometimes dark humor kind of, kind of stuff that, that we have in, in that law enforcement community. And, yeah, Javier, you know, takes it and, and tries to give it back, but he's not quite as, you know, adept at, at some of the, the zingers that, that Emily can come up with. She's She's pretty good at it. 
well, how does how do they get which part does she handle in the case, and which part does he handle? I mean, they radio them, and I have the book in front of me. There's a sergeant. Mm-hmm. There's everything. Um, right. I wouldn't go on an escalator because I don't like it. And the TSA mm-hmm. employees. How do you deal with with them? You have to deal with so many people from different agencies. How do you do that? Yeah. Well, you did also. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, most agencies that that police departments or or law enforcement agencies um, deal with have what they call interagency agreements. So that mm-hmm. you know, a sheriff's department and a police department, if there's an area that's kind of that straddles the borderline, you know, of of those boundaries. Uh, there's kind of an agreement on who's going to handle what aspects of a of a case out there. Um, you know, same thing with uh, it could be any agency, whether it's you know uh, out the airport with you know TSA or the sheriff's department uh, security out there at the airport. Um, you know, there's there's kind of a protocol on on how you let people know who what you're doing and where you're at and what the investigation is. Um, but in, yeah, in terms of the investigation itself. Um, Emily and Javier have a good working relationship where they're able to handle different aspects of the case and they come mm-hmm. together and kind of compare notes. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just kind of how they, how they work the investigation in the case. They've developed a good working relationship and it's, it's been effective. I'm looking at the questions that you have in the back of the book, which won't give away oh, yeah. anything. Hmm. And I really, no, I, I, because I had a whole lot more questions than I'm saying. I better not ask those because whatever. (laughs) This is very true because if you see it on television with certain people that think they want to be president, oh my God, uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. Faces of Greed exposes political influence used to control a criminal investigation. Does does that happen? Those people that are rich, those people that can pay off the judge or that person that says, well, I'm going to get you. How, how do you deal with that? Because definitely there, I see it on television every day that yeah. people actually think that they can influence the judge and they know they really can't. So how do you deal with that? How would Emily deal with that? Yeah. I mean, it's a very, it's a very real thing. And in, in face of greed, yeah. we're faced with it, you know, almost from the very beginning of the book where the mayor yeah. uh, becomes this protective kind of, influence over over the case and wants it solved very quietly quickly partially because he doesn't want his secrets revealed but also because he's very fond of of the widow Lori Lori Townsend uh-huh. and wants to make sure she's protected so it yeah it, you see that kind of political influence in and in trying to you know squash the investigation and move it in a certain direction and Emily isn't really going to listen to that she's going to do what's what's right and sometimes that's kind of painful for her, but but she's going to take the right the right course of action. And I, I think you see, you know, examples of that kind of influence being wielded, you know, everywhere, uh, whether it's you know city councilmen or or you know mayors or politicians mm-hmm. of, of various ilk. Um, they yeah they they like that influence and they want to keep it and they they try to wield it sometimes in in ways they shouldn't. And sometimes you think that somebody's on your side and you find out the hard way that they're really on the other side and made a deal. So right. this, this is true. I have a lot of people, me, money is, is whatever. I don't care. Money is the root of all evil. And greed does play a huge role in this story. But there's a lot of other kinds of greed besides money. 
It's the greed right. to get attention. It's the greed to get things done your way. It doesn't always have to be money. It's always somebody that feels that, well, I'm better than you are, so just do it my way. And yet Emily deals with the chief and the captain, and they tell her to do it their way, and she gets away with it, which is really good. Yeah, I mean, she she does what the what the brass expect her to do, yeah. but she does it her way. I um, agree. And because she's and because she's been so successful, um, you know, they kind of let her get away with, you know, being a little bit insubordinate, a little bit sarcastic, uh, but she gets the job done, and and particularly the chief gets it. I mean, she. She is one of the, his best detectives. You know, he's been a line cop for forever. Uh, so he actually, the chief actually supports her quite a bit. Um, the captain is one of those middle management kind of guys that mm-hmm. really has kind of outlived his existence and, and should retire, and he's just kind of taking up space. And he sees a little chance to get some some recognition from, you know, City Hall because he's you know, inserted himself into this investigation to try to control it. <clears throat> but Emily just kind of works around him to to get the case solved. Well, before I forget, because it's in front of me staring me, Monday, Michelle Cameron comes on with Babylon, a Jewish journey. It's really, really, really good. On the 20th, Justin Newland, uh, the Mark of the Salamander. The Mark of the Salamander means fiery, uh, Spirit of Fire, I looked it up. On the 22nd, this is a first. One of my students wrote a book about her son who has sickle cell anemia, waking up for school, is called Jamile, and she called me the other day and I go like, really, you remember me? Yep, she did. Mm. So she's coming on. On the 26th, someone we all know and love, David Putnam, Diabolical. And on the 28th, yep. I'm doing something that I've never done before. I've done panels. But this one I'm going to actually be on because I decided that people that have new releases need to stop bragging. So I've got myself, Cindy McDonald, uh, Robert Mazeroff that wrote uh, The the Last Horseman, whose mother won his college education bidding on the horses. It's fantastic. And Mally Baumel Becker. Uh, she's she Bally Becker Bellmel. She says she, she wrote um, the Paris Mistress, which is really good about Benjamin Franklin. And don't forget on on the uh, the sixth of of March, Andrea Kane struck dead. I'm like really. And for those of you that have a new book coming out, you better tell me because April's almost gone and May is practically gone too. I can do June. <clears throat> I'm serious. Yeah. It's like this never happened before. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, somebody emailed me yesterday. I have three authors for you to read the books, but you have to come up with three interviews. And I go like, huh? <laughs> and, yeah, I, 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 I'm, like, so impressed. <laughs> so before we end, this, yeah. this, this is a question. This took place in the city, new city. And what did you learn about the city of Sacramento? And did, and did any yeah. conceptions change? Because that's one of the questions in here too. What I was going to ask, but anyway, right? Yeah, I mean, I yeah this this series, um, yeah, Face of Greed is the first book in a series, and the series takes place mm-hmm. in Sacramento. Um, one of the things I'm asked about it, you know, at conferences, I, I remember I, I wrote another book in Sacramento, and I was in Toronto at the time, and they were saying, you know, what's why Sacramento? I mean, it doesn't have the cachet that 
San Francisco mm-hmm. or L.A. or New York have. Um, and it's precisely for that reason. Sacramento is kind of a, a odd collection of, of parts. It's, it's a government town, so you've got all the political influences there, you know, heavy, heavy influence there. But mm. because of that, you've got people coming in and coming out, you know, of office all the time. So you've got this, this different populations coming in and coming out. Nobody knows each other. Um, it's a very anonymous downtown kind of area. People just don't acknowledge each other. Ooh. They don't know each other. Um, so, I mean, and because of that, Sacramento has had a very long history with violent crime. And Sacramento has a tie to serial killers that um, because of that anonymity and the freeway system and rivers, um, serial killers have been able to move in and around the city for, for decades. Um Fifteen percent of the nation's serial killers have a tie to Sacramento. Mm. So it, there's this, this underbelly there that's that's kind of, you know, dark and you know, you know, foreboding, and it's kind of fun to put, um, you know, a, an investigation into a place like that, where you've got that those political influences to deal with the crime. Uh, we've got a heavy gang influence going on in parts of the city. So it, it gives Emily uh, a really a rich playground to to kind of develop her her story. I'm just wondering if anybody is going to do one. Well, we're having the problem up here with immigrants that our mayor mm. hmm, had, yeah, don't ask, and he hasn't done anything, and the governor yeah. seems to be on the fringe of somewhere, who knows where. So I'm wondering if anybody's going to write a book or do something about the immigration. And stuff like that. I'm getting a lot of books on mental illness and greed and power yeah. and stuff like that that I, that I find. But you wrote the next book you said is called River of Lies. So where do you see Emily and Javier? And is she going to get a boyfriend? No, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Now uh, there was a man kind of introduced in in Face of Greed, another cop, mm-hmm. and she she nicknamed nicknamed him the Booty Bandit. Because he wore these booties at the crime scene, mm-hmm. you know, to preserve cool. evidence. Well, yeah, that that officer is Brian Brian Connor, and Officer Connor does come back in the next book to kind of, you know, be be a little bit of a boyfriend influence there with Emily. Yeah, River of Lies is the next book to, again in Sacramento, and in River of Lies, the homeless camps are being attacked and mm. burned, and. Uh, people are being harmed and, and killed in, in those attacks. So Emily and Javier investigate those those uh, those burnings, those arson uh, on the on the on the homeless camps. And she soon realizes that even the homeless have something that somebody wants. So it's kind of an interesting Every- investigation on who that. Everybody has something that somebody wants. That's the scary part. Mm-hmm. And you have to really yeah. be. My my grandmother. Uh, my my step grandmother, even though I know she was my grand grandmother, had a, was very perceptive, and they claim that I got that from her, which is good, because <laughs> she was able she would look at somebody in the street and say, in Jewish, I don't like them, and I was like, mm. okay, and you just she just knew that mm-hmm. that somebody wasn't right. So if I if I had a boyfriend, she said, I don't like him, jump him right away. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my my father. My father was worse. My father was worse, but that's that's okay. But this this book is really 
I mean, people really need to think about the fact that the power of money can destroy a family. And I know that from when my sister died, because my sister left everything to my niece and nephew, which is fine. But her husband decided that he was entitled, which he wasn't, and he took 30000 from each one of them for something called elective mm. share. So mm. this money, yeah, he was horrible. Money could really destroy a person if you have too much of it or too little of right. it. And, that, and that's what's scary because, you know, you know, you never know. And that, that's what's real. That, that's basic. I mean, the face of greed could be anything, right? And it doesn't even have yeah. to be money. It could be the face of power, the face of whatever, or just the face. Yep. Yeah, I think you see you see the people in in face of greed. A lot of it, you know. Sure, there's there's money and there's there's a, millions that that Roger Townsend had amassed yeah. over his career, but those control was a big issue and power, and and who could wield those secrets that Roger left behind. I think that was probably some of the the biggest motivating factors behind you know all the all the actors in face of greed. I didn't feel sorry for him, but then she wanted all. She felt she was entitled to all the money too, mm-hmm. and we won't tell what happened. So, where can everybody find out about you and your work? Because and when is the next one coming out? This is an important question. Yeah, actually, there's, there's, I have two books coming out uh, next year. Uh, the one next one in the Face of Greed series, in Emily series, comes out, I believe, in December of next year. Uh, River of Lies, and I have another series that uh, is, I'm doing concurrently, and it actually does deal with the immigration issue and border politics oh, and border violence. Uh, Dead Drop was the first in that series. Uh, Devil Within was last year, and this year Served Cold will be coming out, and it deals with a detective in the uh, Arizona desert between Phoenix and and the border in Tucson, and you know his partner was murdered by a by a coyote bringing over undocumented migrants so it kind of colored his perception of of that issue um he finds a series of of bodies in the desert they're all undocumented migrants but they are connected to the man who killed his partner so he follows that trail across the border gets trapped down south uh, on the other side of the border and actually needs the undocumented population to help get him back home safely so it well, who changes his perspective a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Who's publishing that one? Uh, that series is uh, published by Level Beth. Oh, I know them. I've written. Yeah. I've and written then, a whole bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they've got a lot of a lot of good a lot of good stuff coming out of there. And then Face of Greed yeah, well, and, and uh, River of Lies is through uh, Ocean View Publishing. I love Ocean View because I don't ask for anything; mm-hmm. they automatically send it. That's how I got your yeah, book. Great. Best level (laughs) books I know. Um, Mm -hmm. I I do. I work for Partners in Crime. Yeah. They they give me. They send me the people that want reviews, and then they um, then they and they ask and they send me the books for free. I never know what I'm getting. So Gina and Wendy are great, and I have to say that they have given me. This week, because of my wonderful, they said, a book blast. Yes. So I have a book blast that started on Monday. It ends tomorrow. And all I wanted was um, showcases, interviews, and spotlight. And somebody wrote a review, and I said, I I never write negative anything, ever. 
If a book isn't worth three and a half, four stars, I'll just write a summary. And she right. wrote a review, and at the end she wrote something that was really not very nice. And I did answer, the not not her, the other people involved, because I don't critique something. And she said mm-hmm. that my book was not edited properly because there was no consistency in characters, but they were all dead. And all the stories <laughs> were different. And everyone was different. And I had it edited by some New York Times authors read it first before I had to publish, yeah. and a whole bunch. And I just said, you know what, whatever. You can't. Yeah. You can't. We can't worry about it. But so, no. And where can we find out level and best level books? And the, the toys are really. I mean, she's fantastic, Tina. As a matter of fact, she did an Instagram on my book yesterday that I cracked up with. I couldn't believe it. It was really nice because <laughs> she felt bad about that. So, where yeah. can everybody get no, all of your books? And when am I getting yeah. another one? <laughs> yes, yeah, you can find folks can find me at my my website at jameslatwell dot com. Or I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter uh, at uh, James Latwell or author James Latwell, depending on which one you're looking for. Um, yeah, I, you can sign up for the newsletter. I, I do, uh, you know, mm. uh, newsletter that deals with, uh, you know, prison prison to the page kind of thing. So, you know, little snippets about prison facts and, and uh, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, if, yeah, Level Best Books and and Ocean View, you can both you know contact through there. The books are available you know to wherever books are are sold, whether it's uh, Amazon or your independent local bookstore. Well, I have to tell you, I put your review. I I, I have it. I'm going to send it to you. Uh, I put your review on LinkedIn yesterday, and in oh, five minutes you. there were 25 views. Everybody's reading oh, nice. my stuff on LinkedIn. It's like, are you kidding? Um, one of the authors that's going to be on the panel show got 598 views. And you're wow, come great. close. Yeah, they are. That's They're great. reading it. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then they're asking me if I want to pay for a premium, whatever. Not not really. And then one person said, I can promote your book. I said, no, that's okay. And another one yeah. said, you know, you're great for an MBA program. I said, I have four master's degrees and a PD. What do I need another one? I mean, seriously. <laughs> Did you read yeah. my profile? But thank you so much. This has brightened my day, seriously. And oh, thank you. I can't wait to get the next one. And I hope level Best Level Book sends me it. Um, and if it's coming out next year or this year, just let me know because, like I said, my schedule's filling up, everybody. Yeah. Well, thank but you very thank much. Thank you so Brian. much. Thank you. Everybody have a great day and bye. Bye now. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.